0: I want to start with a little uh, story in the summer of 2020 I herniated a disc in my back and uh, which led to a lot of nerve pain in my leg and it was um, definitely the worst pain I've ever felt in my life and usually when you hurt your back you kind of just have to like ride it out uh, you take your painkillers uh, try to find a position that doesn't make you want to die and and give your time some your body some time to heal and this had been my previous experience uh, with back issues. I've had them for a while now. Um, it's also the advice you'll find online if you look as I do, as I know many of us feverishly do, uh, whenever we feel something slightly wrong with our bodies. I am perhaps uh, the worst culprit of this. I would imagine, though, some of you are probably worse, but I'll say for it right now. I'm the worst culprit of this. I know uh, the WebMD, Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, Healthline.com, doom, doom scrolling very well um i've gone even deeper than that first level of internet uh prognosticating having read many medical journal level studies uh on the back as well uh, thanks to england's national health services which make their thankfully make their things public um you are welcome to seek a back consultation with me anytime i i know a lot so the internet says uh, to get your rest uh, unless you are experiencing bladder issues then it says with the big warning label, go immediately to the ER because you might need emergency surgery or you'll never be able to pee again. And you may not be able to walk again either. So usually usually when you read that like worst case scenario at the bottom of these pages, um, which is always cancer, usually cancer because everything is cancer, uh, you probably shouldn't dwell on it too much. You know, It's just a lot of sort of paranoia, anxiety. But I woke up the next day after that herniated disc, and realized that I hadn't been able to pee for almost 24 hours, even as I could feel, sorry, I don't, know, I don't mean to be graphic, as I could feel uh, my bladder getting fuller and fuller. So I went to the bathroom, I tried to pee again, and I couldn't, I couldn't get it out. And so I calmly freaked out, um, and I asked my uh, now wife, my partner at the time, to uh please take me to the er and we were both very very calmly freaked out but it's very <laughs> it's like er let's, let's let's go okay so if you ever been to the er you know that most of your time there is just waiting you're really just waiting at the er right um which is probably the worst thing that someone is uh, can go through when they're in the throes of both pain and this sort of existential fear. is just to sit there and i was alone for i think six hours um and a true tragedy, the part that I um, am asking for your sympathy and empathy and pity is not the back part, but my phone almost died immediately when I got to the ER. If there was ever a time to lean in fully to the Internet's endless reservoir of distraction, it would be as one waits for uh, test results and the possibility of life-altering news. And I kept asking the nurse, like, can you please um, find a charger for me? Please, oh, please. And she's like, sorry. I was like, I hate you so much. It's very upsetting. There might be nothing scarier for people of our generation uh, than to be left alone with one's thoughts. Uh, I laid there, and I basically ran the gamut of my life. Uh, I tried to remember, you know, I always thought about like the architecture of my like childhood home, and where was that one room, and how big was it? And I wondered about aliens, and what it would be like to, to meet one. What would I say? Of course, also, I went to the dark places, right? Like, things I would never get to do if I, in fact, had and ended up becoming somehow paralyzed. Um, like, I would never be able to uh, play my child basketball and destroy them so badly that they would develop a complex. Um, I spent a lot of time regretting uh, not taking care of myself better, right? The ways that I've abused my body over these years. But more than anything else, I kind of... Uh, couldn't shake the question um, that kept coming up, which is, why is this happening, right? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why, why, why? This is perhaps the most natural question we human beings ask ourselves. Ourselves, others, pastors, God knows, and God also. Uh, Whenever we stumble into these moments where a light is shown on a truth that we do our best to forget most waking hours of our lives, which is that we are just these little vulnerable creatures who live only really with the illusion of control. Some might say that realization is uh, uh, th- the impetus for human, human beings' invention of God in their minds, right? I'd say it is the question that uh, propels us or causes us to uh, take our, our heads out of our butts and every now and then and, and look up to the sky, so to speak, right, and to see what's out there. In our reading for today, you might have noticed where I was going with this. Uh, the why question is front and center, a group of people are grotesquely murdered by Pilate. Um, Pilate is a political ruler who serves at the pleasure of the empire that's occupying Jewish territories at that time. Bad guy, antagonistic towards the Jews, uh, the Jews in the region. Um, violence was common. The reference to blood mingled with their sacrifices uh, means they were presumably killed while they were performing rituals, right, religious rituals um, at a temple. Such news would have been both unsurprising and deeply disturbing to the people of the time. And so their question makes total sense. Why did this happen? Did these people deserve it? Were they particularly bad people? right. Jesus is asked by them. And contrary to what some religious uh, kooks of our day might say, Jesus is very clear that this was not some sort of instance of divine punishment or retribution. He even brings up another tragedy, right? This uh, incident where 18 people died because a tower randomly fell on them. Did they somehow deserve that, he asked? No, the answer is again. But of course, Jesus adds something else to all these no's. This uh, thing he adds every time he rebuffs the notion that terrible things happen because God wants them to. He says, Unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Not the most comforting words, if you ask. Uh, And that may not sound really like an answer to the question of why, Um, but I think what he says makes more sense when you consider that the impulse behind the why question right, um, comes from a deeper place than us wanting to just grasp causality. At the center of our want to know the cause of things, or this or that, it really is to make meaning of them, to make meaning of things, right? Tragic events, most obviously, but also just like our lives in general, right? Uh, From your own, our own little individual attempts to, to do something worthwhile with this one wild and precious life, right, as Mary Oliver says, or even on the grander scale, right, the meaning, significance of history, the world, the cosmos, the question of why that we ask is ultimately a question about meaning. There is a a sort of maxim that's been around for, I don't know, forever, I think, um, that hard times draw us closer to divine things, right? You all know that saying that some poor person said uh, many eons ago, right? There are no atheists in foxholes, right? this sort of idea when we are confronted with stark Mortality, stark suffering, uh, fear, uh, something happens, right? We have uh, uh, given an opportunity to sort of find some clarity, right? To uh, find clarity in what is meaningful, right? What are the meaningful things? What are the meaningful things to us? Now, these last two years with the global pandemic and now the threat of nuclear war, which is fantastic, um, these would seem ample opportunities for the world to have a perhaps a full-blown revival of faith, right, a sort of collective awakening where uh, all of us are like, man, we finally realize what is actually meaningful in our lives, and our society and institutions are reshaping themselves to nurture those things. But I think you'll disagree that, I mean, you'll agree that, that that hasn't happened, right? It hasn't quite happened. You know, this enlightenment um, that comes with trial by fire, you know, I would admit has eluded me personally as well, rather than I think growing um, resolve over the last couple of years to pursue the things I believe are meaningful, really the voices of my own personal demons, which I often wrestle with, I'll name them as sort of cynicism or nihilism, right? These voices have grown louder. With each new shitty thing that has happened over the last couple of years, a part of me has retreated to that safe place, for me at least, which says none of this really matters. Anyone feel me on that? So I'm fully with those who go to Jesus and say, why? I want to know why. And I'm asking this about a lot of things, my health, about the pandemic, about war, about a lack of political progress, so I could keep going on and on, honestly, for a long time, but I'll spare you that. But again, to all of these things that are sad and unsaid, Jesus responds, repent. Lent is here. Woo! Lent is here, this is the season of time before Easter, where Christians have traditionally uh, prepared for the big main event of, of Easter uh, by reflecting on our individual and collective humanness, which is to say our status as little vulnerable creatures. And we might associate um, this time as being intentionally depressing, dour, glum. Perhaps you are getting that sense from my sermon today. I got news for you that has nothing to do with Lent. That's just me. I always preach this way. <laughs> I swear I try to write, da- uh, sit down and write happy sermons. It just will not happen for me. I always end up here. So either way, uh, it, it also might feel, I think, in some ways like we've been in a kind of perpetual Lent, the long Lent, one might say. Aside from uh, like two glorious weeks between uh, the vaccine and the Delta variant, uh, beyond those two weeks, There probably has been no time for us that we've so consistently thought about our mortality, at least, you know, I think for me, I think for a lot of us, than we have in these last two years. But it's not as all not all is lost, right? Just as reflecting on death is actually reflecting on how we ought to live. I think reflecting on Lent is actually reflecting on what is meaningful to us. Right? And I think if we do that, there is a lot of hope, joy, beauty, life-giving spirit in such things. To put that meaning-making work in the framework of your Christian vocabulary, Lent is about repentance. If you grew up in the church, that word might um send a chill up your spine. I <laughs> know be a little bit disturbing, uh, because it has been used so much to promote a sort of rigid moral code of conduct. Uh, As a teenager, I I repented a lot, um, which for me usually meant crying in a mountain somewhere. uh, as I thought about all the bad things I've done, uh, which frankly, I was a good kid, so that meant like swearing um, and like thinking about sex sometimes. Uh, Some of you were much worse. I've learned in the Midwest, there is this, everyone just drinks in a barn when they're like 14. Sounds (laughs) I didn't do anything like that. I was a good kid. But I repented a lot, you know. It, that's sort of what it meant to me growing up. Uh, but really in the actual core idea of that word, uh, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, repentance just means a return, right? This idea of returning, of going home. I spent um, most of last year's Lent uh, with a with one particular book that I preached from and I meditated on a lot. Um, it's by the Orthodox priest Alexander Schmemann and I return to here I return to him here uh, on what he writes on repentance. He says this. Repentance is often simply identified as a cool and objective enumeration of sins and trans- transgressions, as the act of pleading guilty to a legal indictment. Confession and absolution are seen as being of a judicial nature. But something very essential is overlooked without which neither confession nor absolution have any real meaning or power. This something is precisely the feeling of alienation from God, from the joy of communion with God, from the real life as created and given by God. It is easy, to, it, it is easy indeed to confess that I have not fasted on prescribed days or missed my prayers or become angry. It is quite a different thing, however, to suddenly realize that I have defiled and lost my spiritual beauty, that I am far away from my real home, my real life, and that something precious and pure and beautiful has been hopelessly broken in the very texture of my existence. This is uh, the nature of return, right? That it means there's something from which we have strayed. And your experiences these days, uh, they may not be exactly like mine, right? I named this sort of Bedeviling ideas um, like cynicism and nihilism. Maybe for you they are escapism, denial. Um, maybe they are rage and harsh judgment. Right? There's definitely a lot of that going on these days. But whatever the case may be, our homecoming is not a matter of just willing away that stuff, right? But it is to actually find ourselves back amongst the things that matter to us, that ground us, that breathe hope into us, that bring us back to our real life, as Shuman puts it, real life. Hard times may present us with an opportunity for clarity, but not often because we become suddenly completely different people. Rather, I think such clarity functions more like blinders so that all the things that are sort of constantly competing for our attention are kept at bay, that we can actually see and return, then, to what's important, what's actually meaningful. The people, they go to Jesus, and they want to know why. And we go to God, and we want to know why. And frankly, no answer is given. But I do believe that we do get a response. Repent, right? I imagine that those in the story might have walked away from that conversation um, feeling a little annoyed, perhaps, or perturbed, uh, unsatisfied, hard to blame them. But I think it'd be a missed opportunity for us if we walked away in the same way. So as we are here kicking off Lent, uh, the season of Lent, I want to invite us um, into a practice of repentance over these 40-some-odd days that we are doing this. Um, Again, not the kind of repentance that is this uh, self flashing of dumb things that we might have done or thought, but the kind of repentance where we are renewed, restored, revived by returning home to the things that actually have meaning for us, that give us meaning, that give us life. What that means can be different for all of us. You might need to do some deep reflecting to remember what those things actually are. Um, some of us may know them well and need to just commit to engaging these parts of our lives with more intention. There's also a collective aspect to this. Western Christianity is far too individualistic, of course. And so uh, meaning making, meaning practice, these are a enterprise of community, whether that means a church uh, with a friend with your partner Uh, there are many options here as uh, we embark on a repentant meaning-making time before easter especially in a time where um, the world continues to (laughs) say you know i don't basically say fuck you all the time you know We can still find meaning there. I think that's where we need to go back to. That's what I'm trying to say. So my prayer for us um, this Lent over the next many days is this, that we might find ourselves uh, and this world as well dwelling less on death but rather on the question of why it is that we are living. Amen.